Yes, Lord, we recognize you are our risen hope this morning. It's Christ in us, this hope of glory. Because you're with us, Lord, you can stand against us. Oh, Lord, and I pray this morning the glory of your word would shape our hearts. Not just our minds, but Lord, might faith be awakened in this place this morning. That we can say like Paul, we know, we know whom we've believed. We know who we're following. We have no doubt. And I pray, God, the faith and the security and rest that comes from a place of trusting you as a church would resound in us an unshakable confidence in the one who saves. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to, God willing, be on it for one more week. It's just the cornerstone of this book, and it is a beautiful moment for us to see a normal New Testament church flourishing, healthy, and we certainly aspire to be that kind of church for Jesus. Amen? So let's read one simple verse. Uh, it's, it goes like this. Paul and Timothy, douloi, bond servants, bond slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, to all the hagios in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friends, we have been dwelling on this verse. This, is, this will be our fourth week, but for good reason. And um, one of the reasons is because Philippians is a wonderful mirror for the modern church. If you are looking for a healthy church, these are the things that need to be at the forefront of your minds. Uh, and when they are operating proportionately, uh, you see grace and peace flowing from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to the saints. And we said last week that Paul believes in the local church. There's a lot of skepticism in modern day uh, uh, Christian circles about does the local church really need to play a, a place in uh, my life uh, as a Christian? Do I really need to be a part of her to get on with Jesus? Well, Paul would say, no, he believes in it. Although he can talk about the church universal when he applies it, it is very concrete. He expects these believers to be in a local church. And uh, we said that there are five components that he wants to see happening, that he greets and blesses in his greeting. And they are the following. Next slide, please. It's in this one verse you get a snapshot of a beautiful, graced local church, according to the will of Christ as leader. Um, and the five components are evident in his greeting. The first is that over the church is Jesus Christ. And can I say, if you're wanting to evaluate a healthy church, my friend, the one name you must hear more than anything else, the one person that that church must look to and love, and the one, pers one person that that church wants to become, it is Jesus. This morning's worship, it is living testimony that we are under this glorious master and king and savior, Jesus Christ. And if he's, he, if he's not at the forefront of the preaching, of the worship, of the praying, of our fellowship, then friends, that church is not in a good place. But if he is over the church by the spirit, you should feel him and hear him everywhere. You must not leave here without knowing one name, Jesus. And friends, inside this church, in this little local gathering, Christ is ruling by the Spirit, and he's doing so by powerfully gathering the saints to all the saints. Don't separate elders and deacons as being different to the saints. They are saints with a calling on their lives. All the people inside the church have, are there because of a mighty work of God inside of them that has brought them into God's kingdom. 
We'll look at that in a moment. Uh, but there are other things that he affirms, elders and deacons that are there to lead and serve the saints. And then we see outside of the church, we see these translocal ministries where a healthy church is not isolated. A healthy church doesn't just exist for themselves. They're a part of a bigger picture. They're connected to ministries that are, are, are blessing. They're sowing into the gospel beyond their four walls. And friends, these are the things you look for if you are looking for a healthy church. Not perfect, but certainly one which grace and peace will flow if working proportionately. It's organized, it's defined, it's even, you can use the word institutional in nature, defined membership, defined leadership, defined partnership. It's not out there as an organic thing, it's concrete. And we said last week that it is glorious. Friends, the local church is not just a gathering of people who are trying to be good and better. The church is the gathering of people that has experienced a miracle of God in their inner being. <laughs> they are people rescued. Hagios means holy ones in Christ. They were dead in trespasses and sin, and God raised them to newness of life. They are born-again people. They have experienced resurrection life already. Although it's just the start inside, it's going to be completed one day. And they've experienced this miracle of the gospel, bringing about the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And if until that happens to you, you can listen to last week's sermon, but I have to emphasize again, until you are born again, until God makes you a new person on the inside, Philippians will be a closed book to you. You need the power of the Spirit to be alive to Jesus Christ. And if you think by your efforts, by your morality, by your religion, you're going to get anywhere in this book of Philippians, friends, you're not because you need to be born again. You need to be to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And why is that glorious? It's because, friends, the Christian life is not a struggle. It's not this, oh, I'm just going to try and make it every day because this is all on my shoulders and it's so heavy. Let me tell you, the Christian life is off the back of a mighty work of God. The reason why I can preach with joy this morning is because God is at work within you, saints, to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It's not the pressure of the sermon that's going to change anything. It's the glory of the Spirit making you alive to the one who saved you. And as you pray and as you read your Bible, as you come here on Sundays, he's going to speak. He's going to pull you in towards himself. He's going to pull you up towards heaven. And you're going to see that there is an inner life inside of you that as much as you try, you can't seem to keep down. As much as you run away from, you can't seem to outrun. There is this grace of God pursuing you and training you for godliness. And friends, it's glorious because it's off the back of heaven, not earth. And to say that you are a saint this morning, if, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have experienced a miracle of grace. And friends, now that you are in Christ, it's possible to live for Jesus. It's glorious. You lack nothing from heaven to live for Jesus today. But it is not automatic. You can be graced with all of this and do nothing. Why? Because Paul... Paul can say in Philippians chapter 2, you must work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work within you, but you have to work with him. And today, can I just, you can listen to the sermon two weeks ago. That's what it means to become a doulos, a, a bondservant, a, a, a slave of Christ. The way you work this wonderful position out is to yield to the one who bought you. And, and, I, and all I can say is this, you will not believe me until you try it. <laughs> if any man seeks to lose his life for my sake, will, will find it. Please look at me this morning. 
Philippians is for you to be laid hold of. But it will not be real for you until you actually do it. So you actually say, Lord, true freedom, I believe, is in the detail, not this grandiose, it's the detail of every area of my life, just saying it's yours. It's under your blood. It's from your hands. And the one, I promise you today, can I just nudge you one last time before moving on? You will never regret yielding to Jesus. You will say to yourself, why didn't I do this years before? You will find yourself, there's such freedom, such peace in allowing the one to take charge and control things that actually he's designed to do. And you'll find he's good. You'll find it's a blessing. You'll find that there is such a joy in his mastery over your life. But you'll only do it. You'll only experience it if you actually do it yourself. You'll find it before you won't. Go for it this morning. And this brings me to my second last part of this beautiful verse today, which because of this defined leadership, we preach a message, church. Please listen to me very carefully. It's called the gospel. And I unpacked it last week, but this message of the gospel is the foundation of our church because unless we preach it, people cannot believe. And if that gospel gets muddied, like in Galatians, Paul goes hard. He says, no, 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 we have to guard this gospel because it guards salvation for those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. We hear a message. It's Jesus Christ bled and died for us. This gospel needs to be guarded, and this church, because of her new birth, needs to have an identity. And that means that Jesus institutes leadership in the local church to keep the gospel pure and to keep her people sound. And that's why Paul says, yeah, among you saints, the Holy Spirit has graced elders and deacons. Elders come first, deacons come later. But there are instituted leadership for the benefits of keeping the saints in the gospel and living like it. Now, can I say to you, as a, one of the elders in this church, this is not an office that is a human invention. I'm so grateful for that because we need a lot of help. But in Acts 20, verse 28, Paul is very clear. He says, pay careful attention, Ephesian elders, to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Friends, eldership was appointed by Jesus early on in the church. We know it comes as early as Acts chapter 11, verse 30, where the Jerusalem church had elders appointed in her. And uh, we see that uh, right from the very start, Acts 14, verse 23, and Titus 1, verse 5, as soon as a local church was planted, it was not yet completed until eldership was appointed, teams of elders over local churches. And uh, Paul is very clear about that. And can I, can I make this statement to you this morning that's really important? This means that being part of a local church under a godly eldership team is Christ's will for the Christian. And it's one of the ways the Christian is guarded and guided in their faith. And the proof of it, the proof of it is right at this very start of verse 1. Why are we taking such a long time? Because it sets the tone for the whole book. And when Paul is writing to the Philippians, he's not writing to individuals. He's writing to the, please say it a bit louder. You must remember that. We have the luxury of having our own Bibles this morning, right? They, they didn't. Everything Paul was saying was to a group of people 
that was defined as the local church. And, and so when you interpret Philippians, it is impossible. Please listen to me this morning. Very important. It is impossible to live out alone. You cannot experience the grace of Philippians on your own. Command after command comes over and over again. You can leave it up there, Hannah. Don't worry. It's good for us to see it, that previous slide. You cannot, please hear me this morning, postmodern 21st century human being, you cannot live out Philippians on your own. You cannot rejoice in the Lord always on your own. You cannot experience the heights of seeing all of your needs met on your own. It's an exception if you're in some sort of place, granted, persecuted, alone, on a desert island like John uh, in, in exile. God will grant you grace for the exception, but he wants you to live in the norm. And the norm is this, is to be like Laurie was on the money this morning when he prayed for small groups. Paul could say, if there's any encouragement in Christ, chapter 2, verse 1, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's talking to this group of people, loving and learning about Jesus together. And part of that is these people living under local Holy Spirit-appointed leadership. And it's in your best interest this morning, SBC, to listen well, because the quality of your eldership directly affects your spiritual health. <laughs> and I'm just hoping that even as I preach this morning, there might be some men here in the building who aspire to this office. And I'm going to be brief by answering four questions this morning. And they are, where does the office of elder come from? What is the role of the eldership? How should the eldership lead? And what does this mean for you and me? Well, the first point is, where does the office of elder come from? Well, we know it's not new. It's in the Old Testament. It's mentioned over 100 times. We're not sure how these elders were appointed in the Old Testament. We're not sure of their qualifications, but we can see, this is important, that they governed over a specific community. Each community had a representation of elders, a village, a tribe, or even a nation. And uh, we are not sure how they came about in the New Testament, uh, in the early church, but their earliest mention comes in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, the elders in the church of Jerusalem. And so we see the pattern from that point on, being mentioned by Luke, is the norm throughout the New Testament. And um, might I just remind us this morning that it's even affirmed in heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, it's the elders who are seated on the 24 thrones um, before the great throne. And so even in heaven today, the office of elder exists and will continue to exist into eternity. Isn't that a bit comforting? At least for me. Second, second point, what is the role of the eldership? There's three words I want you to memorize this morning as we talk about it. The first is from the Greek word presbyteros. Can we all say elder? Elder, it literally means old man. Laurie, you're in good shape. <laughs> the second is episcopos. Can we say overseer? So the first is elder. Can you say elder? The second is overseer. Also where the word bishop comes from, episcopos. And the third is poimen. Can you say shepherd? 
So can we say the three together? Elder, overseer, shepherd. Those three terms are what characterizes an elder. And so I want to go through them just briefly so you know what we're talking about as an elder. And when it comes to appointing these guys, which you play a role in as a church, you know what to look for. The first is elder from Acts chapter 11, verse 30, which means older or uh, um, more mature. And when the Bible uses the term elder, it, it means, it's meant to show spiritual maturity. In other words, when you look at an elder, one of the things that must strike you is he's a role model. He might not be mature in years, but he must be mature in faith. And that's what 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 says, is that an elder should not be a recent convert. In other words, he must have some spiritual track records. And he must command respect not through charismatic gifting or or skill, the gravitas of an elder must be his own walk with Jesus and his own spiritual maturity. Are you with me? So, elder, spiritual maturity. The church look up to this man as a role model. The second is overseer. An overseer is used to show the responsibility for the oversight of everything in the local church. So the first was eldership, which is to show spiritual maturity. Overseer is to show what responsibility an eldership, eldership is to exercise, an elder is to exercise. And it comes from 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 to 5, where it talks about an elder having to manage his or her own house, his household well. And the point is this, is if he can't manage his household well, how will he manage the church? And he does so by overseeing four very important key points in the life of the church. The first is doctrine. Now, this in essence is the most important job of an elder because wonky teaching in a church produces a wonky church. Even good teaching but imbalanced teaching produces an imbalanced church. And the one qualification that an elder must exemplify is an ability to teach. What that means is he has got something to say, right? And it also means that he's able to recognize the difference and to instruct people in what is correct. And we know that this ability to teach is not necessarily public preaching. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 says that those elders who rule well and who labor in preaching and teaching, be worthy of double honor. There, there is a difference on team between those that carry the pulpits, but every single one of those men needs to be able to carry the word of God into one-on-one -on -one relationships, into small groups. They need to be able to be sound in their biblical formation. They must be, in a sense, familiar with the whole counsel of God. And their job, which is the most important of it all, is to make sure that the, what is coming into the church as biblical instruction is pure. I'll come back to that point. The first is doctrine. The second is discipline. And this means that in the church, the eldership are responsible for maintaining a healthy application of the word of God within the church. And Romans chapter 6 verse 17 says, There is a standard of teaching that we must obey from the heart. 
And Hebrews 13 verse 17 says we are to obey our leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Paul expects these elders to not only be very careful about the doctrine of the church, but the discipline of following the Bible in the church. Why? Because hagios means we are not like the world. We are not living according to how the world lives. We are called to live out of our position, which is to become like Jesus. We have a form and a shape. So we oversee doctrine, discipline, and then direction in the church. What that means is God can speak through anybody, but it ultimately must be weighed up as by the elders of saying, yes, this is from the Lord. And in our church, what we do on an annual basis and more is we look at what is God saying to us in our vision, what is God saying to us in our values, and then how does that inform our vehicles? And the whole process from start to finish is assessed within the eldership to see if we're on track. And the last is this, is we oversee the dollars. Elders, in the first example, I wish we had dollars, but it's okay. We've got rands. Thank you for them. But Acts chapter 11, verse 30, the very first example of eldership is when there was a monetary gift from the Antioch church to Jerusalem. And uh, the money is given by Barnabas and Paul into the hands of the local eldership. So one, can we say together, elder? That means spiritual maturity. Next one, overseer. That's, that's, that's the one uh, providing oversight in doctrine, discipline, direction, and dollars. And then the third is shepherd. Can we say shepherd? Shepherd is how these elders are to feel in your life. How they are to carry out these responsibilities. And all three terms work beautifully together. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partake in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Are shepherds gentle with their flock? Do they hurt their flock? Do they protect their flock? Are they close enough that their flock can feel like they are being led? Yes. Can I tell you the secrets of what a good elder feels like and does in your life? He makes you want to love and follow Jesus more. Where does this role of shepherd come from? From Christ himself, church. We are merely under shepherds as elders among the chief shepherd. And all that we are called to do is to shepherd in such a way that you see the sufficiency of the chief shepherd over your life. And that means our job Increasingly, although not perfectly, our job is to make you want Jesus more and to follow him in every single area of your life. It must be even to this degree 
that when you are around elders, you can sense Christ. And so, Paul knows that flocks are vulnerable. And because, because it's by the Holy Spirit, and because the Holy Spirit appoints men to, to guide, the, and Paul is in no doubt, he says to Philippians, hey, watch out for the dogs, guys, those who emasculate the flesh. They're right around you all the time. There's people that are wanting to come in and bring false teaching. The flock is to be guarded. The flock is to be guided. Overseer implies oversight. Shepherd implies among the sheep. And the, the flock is to be governed. That means, although you might not be in the pocket of every elder, you must feel that the elders are vetting leadership in every part of the church so that it's healthy and cared for and safe. Are you with me? And we see male eldership in the New Testament. Um, if you want to know where we stand as a church, we are spacious, complementarian. I'm, to your relief, not going to go into that this morning, but we do in Foundations Week 2. And we invite you, if you want to know more about why we appoint elders in the life of the church as being male, although we happily appoint female deacons, you can come along to Week 2 for Foundations. We encourage you to do so. But my third and second last point is this, is how should the eldership lead? Well, first of all, we can see from Philippians 1 verse 1. It's beautiful. Can you see elders or always or overseers are in the plural? Not once. Not once unless they're talking about a specific uh, qualification for an elder. Do you ever see an elder being on their own? That's important, church, because a healthy church, your experience of an eldership should be team. It's not a one-man show. When you look at it, you should see other voices in the room and mutual submission of one elder to another. It's always plural, and it should feel like that in the life of the church. It should be legitimately so. And the other thing you see is the primary reason and that, or question that drives the overseers in Philippians 1 verse 1 is the well-being of the saints. Who comes first in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who had Philippi, oh, with the overseers and deacons. The eldership's primary driving question, even in tough times, even when it's painful to do so, even when it's counting the cost, is to ask the question, not, 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 not what's good for us, but what's good for the flock? And you should feel like the eldership has the church's best interests at heart all the time. And elders lead from the front, but with the sheep. It's beautiful when Paul would say to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, with, with the overseers and deacons, they're together. There should be a team church. Sure, the elders are leading in the front, but there is a sense of stability and togetherness coming from the eldership. My last point today. So let's do a quick recap. What are the three terms that we look for that describe an elder? The first is elder. Second is overseer. The third is shepherd. Elder for spiritual maturity. Oversight in terms of all the responsibilities for the, for the overseer. And then shepherd is how they should feel. The, we should be leading together primarily with the best interests of the church at heart, leading together with the flock in the front as a team. But what does this mean for you? And this is really the crux of what Paul's heart is for grace and peace flowing to the local church today. What does this mean for you? Why should you take being in a local church seriously this morning under a local team of eldership? 
can I just be vulnerable with you this morning? I know when you leave this place, you can go into YouTube and can, you can listen to teachers who are far better than myself, Mark, and Bryce. You can. Brilliant gifts. And you might have some Christians saying, well, you know what, I can get my teaching fix on the internet. Why should I sit under these guys that are sometimes difficult to listen or go on too long? Can I say to you this morning, the reason why I do what I do and we do what we do is because those great teachers out there, please listen very carefully, 8 o'clock, they don't know you. And when they sit and they prepare their sermons, they don't know SBC even exists. And when the Holy Spirit appoints local elders, what Paul is affirming is that Jesus has specific messages for specific churches that he wants to get across. And for the Christian to be outside of that space is to miss the grace of God flowing to individual congregations. You know, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, isn't it interesting that Jesus has a message that are for individual churches? That Jesus walks among the churches and he says to the angels, you know, in the Greek it's angelos, and there's a school of thought that means, angelos just means messenger, to the preachers, to the preachers of, of uh, the church in, 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 in uh, Laodicea and, and Ephesus, is Jesus is speaking to the local churches with a specific message for each one to apply. And friends, I want to use an example of the power of this in your life. Do you know that very often in your life, this is one of the ways God can reach you, even if you don't like it? There was a great preacher called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the greatest preacher of the 20th century. If you can get anything by him, I highly recommend it. He was so powerful that globally they had tapes. Remember tapes? Wow. Someone's going to get a great reward in heaven recording all those tapes. But they had a tape ministry they sent out globally, and, and, and people would listen to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He is phenomenal. Like, you kind of want to go sit in a corner if he's in the room. And he didn't like that tape ministry. Do you know why? Because he said, the person listening is in too much control. Is they get the tape, they push play. If they don't like it, they just push stop. They, they can decide, and that's what's happening today in the modern church. Well, Christians outside of the local church is, you go and choose, well, what sermon will I listen to today? I'll go to my favorite guy. By the way, you've got three to choose from. Some of you have your favorites. That's fine. But, but you, 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 go, you go on YouTube and you go and choose the person you want to listen to who agrees with you, by the way. And always talks about the things you're interested in. And what happens then is you get fed a curriculum of Christian truth that you decide. And if you don't like it, what do you do? Shut up. Think. Let me go find someone else that soothes what I think I need. Now, there's something very powerful of the last weeks. How many of you would ever have chosen to listen to a sermon where you were called a slave? How many of you would have chosen to go through a drama with a Ken and a Barbie last week explaining who you are in Christ? You see, you don't get to choose what God decides to bring here. And there's great safety in that. Do you know why? 
Because week by week, I, I can guarantee you, the sermons don't come from Matt. Last week, I was desperate to cut something. I even asked my fellow elders and some of you after the service, why should I cut? Oh no, you can't cut anything because it all holds together. Well, Lord, that's what it is for week, whatever in Philippians. And week by week, people will say to me, why do you keep referring to the words in the prayer time in the service? We don't know what happens. I said, well, buddy, because you need to be here. Today was glorious. If you're just going to listen to the sermon on its own, good luck to you for experiencing the full measure of God's grace to SBC at 8 o'clock. And people will say, oh, I'll catch up with the sermon. No, my friend, you've, you've missed out. Those listening today, the guaranteed way for you to miss out on what the, the meat and meal of Jesus is for you is to have God speaking through the local church. Under the eldership, it doesn't matter who, but there's an eldership overseeing the safety of it. But God is speaking week by week to his people. And to be in this place where God can get you through his anointing, it must be grace flowing through the preacher. It might not be as brilliant as everybody else, but you can feel God is speaking to you week by week. There is something he's laying on your heart. You're in good shape, my friend. The Holy Spirit's working in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And can I just say to you, we neglect the space to our peril, not because of some religiosity, but because of what God is doing through it. And can I say to you this morning, church, our job as an eldership is to provide the safety and security for you to work out your salvation in Jesus Christ. You might find our eldership different to how some churches you've experienced in the past are, but maybe it was non-existent. But maybe that you've, you've had elders in your life that were down your throat. I have been there and done that. And they almost become like mini popes. In other words, you have to check everything in your life. You have to throw your brain aside and say, well, everything you say must be right because you're the elder, and God forbid I should ever go against what you say. Can I say to you, Church, this morning, Paul is very clear that he does not want a church that think they have to live vicariously through the eldership. Philippians 2 verse 12 is clear. It says, therefore, my beloved, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He does not want people to feel so attached to his person that in his absence they collapse, or in actual fact they lived in such a way that as long as Paul was watching, they'll do what's right. But when he's gone, thank goodness he's gone because they can do whatever they like. We don't want a culture in our church of big brother where you're only doing things because the elders are around. Friends, we want to see people grow in their individual ability to pray on their own, to witness on their own, to seek out people after Christ, to fellowship in small groups, to experience their gifts. They're not having people telling them what to do all the time. They're getting an ability to respond to God because of the safety of the environment and the way that we bring security through the doctrine of the Word of God. You might say to me, you know, the elders have got nothing to do with my life. Where have they been when I fell off the bandwagon? I'll say perhaps there is some degree of truth. But friends, we have 600 people in this church. And can I just say to you this morning, Paul says, even in my absence, there is one responsibility you must pick up as you go. It is you working out your salvation. 
Sure, we have to work with you, and we do our best as limited men of God. We do our best through small groups and visiting them. We do our best through ensuring leadership is vetted. We do our best through that everything that's preached from this pulpit is under the, the, the team of elders. We do our best to secure you, but friends, we can't live for you. We can't be the one that has to be the Holy Spirit's conscience in your life. We can't get you to be obeying because of fear of what we might say or the phone call you might get. We reject that culture. We believe God's at work in the same, and we want to call it out week by week for you to go for us. We want this to be a place where you can feel a liberty to know Christ personally and his voice and to enjoy all of his leadership on your life. If you want a culture of making another man your conscience, you will not find it here. But if you're wanting a culture of men that come under the word of God, that seek to recommend the word of God to your conscience and to live like it, that's the kind of space we want here. You feel leadership, but you feel the freedom to follow Jesus' will. And you know what? If I die tomorrow, I am in such peace. You know why Paul could say, Tata, guys, I'm going to be delivered one more time, but I'm going to be with Jesus. Because he knew. He knew this church was in good hands. Why? Not because of some skill of an individual person, but because of the integrity of the men that were seeking to serve the church. There is longevity, friends, in team. There is longevity in there not being a one-man show. There is longevity in men leading together for the sake of the church. But even if there is one absence or one failure, grace and peace flow to the church. Can I say, because of this role, one more thing. Can you pop up the last slide? Can you pray for us? Yeah, your elders, SBC. Can you take a snapshot with your phone? And will you pray for us? The more spirit-filled we are, the better it is for you. The more in love with Jesus we are, the better it is for you. The more we hear from God for the sake of the church, the better it is for you. The more we see skill and gifting and grace flowing through this team, the better it is for you. May I say to you this morning, Sterling, you are a joy to lead. It's a joy for us to love you. You're a blessing to us. Pray, pray that we would be a blessing to you. Let's pray. I am so comforted this morning, Lord, that you have designed your church. And it might look a bit different from one corner to the next, but Lord, we want to pray for the grace to flow. The grace to flow in the way you've designed it. And we pray for Sterling. We pray for that grace that you've designed the church to carry in heaven would be manifest here on earth. Lord, that we'd see an ever-increasing picture of a togetherness around the gospel that is graced with leadership that serves it well. And Father, maybe today there are some men here for the future 
Lord, I pray you'd grip hearts in this place. Some of the greatest promises of reward come to those that will serve the church. Might there be servant leaders birthed in her today, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for your great wisdom in changing times. We ask, Lord, for these things to be sealed in our hearts in the weeks ahead. Amen. Amen. Enjoy who's coming to lunch. We'll be at 1 o'clock. We'll see you on Sunday next week.